Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. gift of music that you've given us that just draws our hearts near to you father thank you for that that precious gift and for the opportunity to sing with with fellow believers lord and to worship you i pray for our time now of study lord just open our eyes to the truth lord we want to know more about you we want to serve you more we want to understand how to live father and, and how to interact with others and so open our eyes to the truth of your word father give us the ability to see and hear and understand and through the power of the spirit father we pray We pray, Father, we be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning. Open up to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. We are continuing our sermon series this morning. We've entitled Tension. It's a study of faith versus culture. We're trying to take very difficult subject matters, very difficult questions within culture and understand them from a biblical perspective. Now, I've I've been telling you that I've been praying about and and thinking about each week what to preach on, and I've kind of given you a little heads up the week before, and I told you several weeks ago there was one particular issue that I was kind of struggling through and kind of put off a little bit, but I want to go ahead and uh, ask you this week if you would pray for me as as I think about next week's sermon topic. I'm going to preach next week on the idea of immigration. It's a hot-button topic. It's something we're Uh, aware of in our society. The question really is not what does the world say. The question is what does God's word say? And so we're going to open God's word next week and see if we can understand how God would teach us to understand and deal with this idea of immigration. But today the topic is toxic masculinity. Now I started as I kind of prepared for this last week and was getting ready to preach this morning about really looking up a definition of toxic masculinity. A lot of you have heard the phrase Uh, It's hard to kind of pinpoint because there's not really a good definition, but I'm going to give you what I think is pretty close to a definition, and then I'm going to give you some quotes from society that will help you better understand kind of where their heart is on this issue. Here's kind of a definition of toxic masculinity. There has been a relentless ideological attack on masculinity stemming from radical feminism, the most recent example of which is the term toxic masculinity. It literally seeks to pathologize, I knew I was going to mess that word up, it's a, it's a, technical, it's a, a psychology word, pathologize, which means, I had to look it up, to regard or treat something as abnormal. It's done that to masculinity, right? It treats it as abnormal in ways that are profoundly harmful to the existence 
uh, and the self of young men, right? It's saying basically that manhood is a bad thing, that it can be very dangerous. We know what the word toxic means. Here are some writers, here are some quotes from some writers that'll give you a little bit better understanding of how they feel about it. Gender and masculinity is inherently toxic because it's used to distribute power in an abusive, fixed way uh, on our society. Here's another quote. If we are honest with ourselves, we have long known that masculinity kills men. I thought that was interesting. And then my favorite, I'm using that in quotes, the three most destructive words a father or mother can tell their young son is to be a man. I thought of all the words I could tell my son, the most dangerous I could tell him, apparently, according to this particular writer, is to be a man. Now, we know in society there are problems with men, right, if we were very honest. In fact, I looked up some statistics. According to the FBI, approximately, this is, this is mind-boggling to me, 90% of murders are committed by men. Did you know that? 93% of people in prison are male. Just over one in four children live without a father in a home. And when a child lives in a home without a father, now listen to this, they're more likely to abuse drugs, they're more likely to go to prison, they're four times more likely to be in poverty, girls are seven times more likely to get pregnant as a teenager. Amazing. Right? There is a problem in our world with men, but I think the problem is far too many of them just don't know how to act. They don't know how to live. They don't know how to conduct themselves. And so I wanted to just spend some time this morning understanding not necessarily the idea of toxic masculinity, but really the opposite side of that coin. What does biblical manhood look like? Like what did the scriptures teach us? What does the Bible say about what it means to be a man, how to live as a man, how to lead as a man? And so in order to do that, we're going to examine 1 Kings chapter 2. Now, I prayed a lot about this because it's kind of interesting. Last week, we studied King David. You may remember from our study last week, last week was the Me Too movement, sexual abuse. We looked at the story of David and Bathsheba, and we kind of explained how David was not only an adulterer, but I believe committed sexual crimes against this woman, and I can go back and talk through that with you if you're interested, or you can listen to the podcast from last week. He was a liar, adulterer. Eventually, he committed murder. We, we remember the story of David, but the Lord said as he spoke about David, even after all David had done, that he was a man after his own heart. And we see that because David exhibited this idea of repentance. In fact, Psalm chapter 51, verse 10, you don't have to look it up, but this is David praying to the Lord for forgiveness. He says, create within me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. This is a man that committed great atrocities, a man that sinned in great ways, but he asked for forgiveness. The Lord forgave him and used him to do great things. And so in 1 Kings chapter 2, we see this same King David nearing the end of his life, realizing he's made mistakes, coming now to his son Solomon and giving him words of advice. So these are very clear, very understandable, very challenging men. 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We have it on the screen. When David's time to draw, excuse me, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, now these are words David gives to, him, to his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. That means he's going to die and be buried. Here's what he says. Be strong. Show yourself a man. 
Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, and that the Lord, verse 4, may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their, their soul, they shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Let's stop there, and I want to draw out some biblical truth. There's a lot to say in here about men. There's a lot to understand about how men should live and how sh- men should lead. The first one, very simply, we have on the screen, based on the first couple of verses, number one, a biblical man, first of all, is a leader. A biblical man is a leader. Now, if I were to ask you the question, what does it mean to be a man, how would you define that? That's an interesting question. When I preached several weeks ago about gender dysphoria, I told you I read a couple of books that kind of looked at it from the other perspective. And the idea of defining manhood is very different kind of in that world than we would define it. But I would argue even in the way that we live now in our culture, we define manhood differently than we would have 50 years ago, don't we, guys? Like I, I used Mr. R.T. Purdue. Many of you know Mr. R.T. He sits right there, Greg, where you're sitting, Greg, and when he sits right on the third row every Sunday. Faithful man of God was one of the founding members of this church. Mr. R.T. Purdue, if you've never met him, you ought to meet him. Guys, you ought to take him to lunch one day. Just an incredible man of God. He told me the story. This is true. Now, he's told me this uh, many years ago, and I brought it up again this morning. When he was 15 years old, he went to Rosemont School down here. That's back when it was uh, across all grades. You remember, it used to be a high school. Some of you probably remember that. Mr. R.T. Purdue, when he was 15 years old, drove the school bus. Not only did he drive the school bus and pick up the kids, he picked up all the teachers as well. Now, how many of y'all are going to sign up to ride in the 15-year-old school bus? Anybody? I mean, I'm not letting a 15-year-old kid drive me around, right? I mean, I've got kids. I've got a 16, 17-year-old. I've got another one about to drive, right? And we understand how that process goes, Uh, We hope it goes well with our kids. I'm just not trusting a 15-year-old guy to drive me around in school. Times have changed very differently. So we come to a place in our society now where we say something like this. this. In order to be a man, you've got to be really strong or dominant or you've got to kind of impose your will on other people. Here's what David says to his son. Look at verse 2. I want you to notice this. This is important because we've got to make a distinction here. He says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I'm about to die. Be strong. Be strong. Now, we misunderstand that in our society today, don't we? We think a man's got to be strong and he's got to be forceful and he's got to get his way and he's got to kind of dominate the situation. He's got to be maybe loud and boisterous and, and always in control. But instead, what we see biblically is that when David speaks about strength, and we'll see this in other places, he's really talking about strength under control, strength used for good. That's a biblical principle that the Lord gives us. It's not just about your physical strength. It's about controlling your physical strength in order to do the right things. There's a big difference. Right? Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. You don't have to look it up, but I think we have it on the screen. I want you to listen to what Paul says here in two verses of 1 Corinthians. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, the same sorts of things that we see here in 1 Kings. But now he says something interesting in verse 14. Pull verse 14 up. Let all that you do be done in, what's the word? Love. Now, for men, that's kind of a foreign concept sometimes, isn't it? Like, we want to be be strong, and we want to grunt and do manly things and eat a lot of meat, and we're going to do that at the fall flannel formula. I'm excited about that. It's going to be a fun night. But Paul says, listen, you need to be strong, act like a man, but do everything you do in what? Love. 
Uh, There's this idea that it's strength under control. It's strength willing to give. It's strength willing to sacrifice. Like when you find a man that has kind of this quiet strength, that's willing to stand up and lead and, and do the right thing, and you combine that with love, that's a biblical picture of who God calls us to be. And so, man, when we, when we find this strength, go back to that first point, when we find this idea of strength and we find this idea of leadership rooted in love, it makes us a very different person, doesn't it? It causes us to do things we wouldn't necessarily do otherwise. It causes us to want to give of ourselves, doesn't it? Causes us to want to sacrifice. Man, man, when you show leadership and strength through love, it gives you the ability to lead well at home, to lead your families well, man, to love your wives, to, to love your children, right? To, to be willing to give and be willing to sacrifice, to be willing to, to, to show this idea of strength and leadership through love. That's kind of a foreign concept in the world. I, I meet with, with couples sometimes that are struggling, and I meet with couples that are about to be married, and we talk a lot about the roles and responsibilities, the Ephesians 5 model, which, by the way, if you've never read that as a couple, you ought to do it. But the Bible's real clear about what what a man ought to do. He ought to be willing to give himself for his family. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. One writer said it like this. This is what God redeems men to be. We aren't afraid to act like men, to be courageous, and to be godly examples in our homes and in our communities. It means standing firm in the faith when waves crash, when the beach erodes around us and around those we are called to lead, to love, and protect. Being men means building the lives of those we are responsible for on the bedrock that is Christ, but this can't happen unless our own lives are founded on Jesus. It's this idea of strength. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to lead at home. I'm going to be a a leader to my family, to my children. I'm going to do it based on love. Men, did you know that one of the most important things you can do in your home. I've always said this, and this has kind of been, a, uh, I think, a, a, maybe one of my core principles if I were to write them down. This is something I've always kind of lived by, and I've taught this before, and I say this at home. Mina, if you want to think about giving to your children and, and taking care of your children and, and leading your family well, one of the best gifts you can give your children is a good marriage. One of the best gifts you can give your children is a good marriage. Like your kids ought to see that you guys love each other. Your children ought to know that dad loves mom and he's willing to sacrifice for mom. He's willing to give for mom. Why? Because that's what I'm called to be. That's who I'm called to, to live. That's how I'm called to live. Right? Christ is real clear. The scriptures are, are, are real clear. When you lead your family well, when you exhibit this idea of strength and love, you honor the Lord. And, and so the idea of, of loving at home and, and loving our families is something, man, we need to be aware of and, and, and kind of consider and work through and try to understand and try to better ourselves on a regular basis. For a lot of men, that's kind of a foreign concept. The idea of leading at home or, or leading my wife well or leading my children well, I'm, I'm aware of it, but I'm not actively doing anything to change it. The Bible would say, listen, you need to stand up, be a man, lead your wife, lead your family. Another way that we find strength and another way that we lead is in the workforce. I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 2. You don't have to look, but I want you to just listen to this passage of Scripture. God is creating man and woman. He's put them in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 says, The Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Like built into the DNA of a man ought to be this idea of working hard. Now, it looks different for different people now and, and different 
types of work, and, and some people are at computers and, and out in the field and all sorts of different things. It doesn't really matter what you do. It ought to be the idea that whatever I'm called to do, I'm going to work at it as working to the Lord. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to work hard. Like I can remember growing up and, and watching my dad uh, just week after week, month after month, year after year, just get up and go to work. That's just what he did. You know, and I never questioned if dad was going to go to work. I never questioned if dad was going to work hard, right? And he just kind of taught me that. He didn't really ever say anything about it. He kind of led by example. And many of you can say the same thing about your dads or your granddads. And I think, you know, it's now my responsibility as a dad, as a husband in the home, to kind of exhibit the same sorts of things. It's my responsibility to lead. It's my responsibility to teach. Right, I have a son now, and, and, and many of you have children and can understand the, the thing I'm about to say, but I realize, you know, with my three daughters, I've trained them and I've taught them and I've loved them. I'm going to continue to do that. But with my son, he's going to watch me to learn how to be a man. That's a great amount of responsibility. Right? And honestly, the older I get, the more that weighs on me and the more I'm aware of how I have to interact with him and the ways I have to teach him and train him. Because if I don't teach him, somebody else probably will and it's probably not going to be the way that's going to please me. And so the Lord has given me this great gift. I mean, he's given us this great gift of leadership, right? We're supposed to be a leader. We're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to show love. We're supposed to sacrifice and serve. That's because the Lord's called us to do it. It's who we've called to be. But we kind of arrive at this place and we say, you know what? I get that. I understand it. It's true. I feel that way within my heart, but I'm not quite sure how to do it. Like, I, I desire to be that guy. I want to lead and, and love and serve like that, but I'm just not quite sure how to do it. Look again at verse 2. Pull, pull verse 2 up of 1 Kings chapter 2. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, right? Be strong. Show yourself a man. In other words, stand up, lead, do the things you're supposed to do. But look at verse 3. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it's written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you turn, right? Now, here's the second truth on which this is important, right? Men are called to be leaders, to be strong, to be willing to sacrifice and to love and to give of themselves for the sake of their family and for others. But there's a core principle here we don't want to miss, truth number two. A biblical man walks in the ways of the Lord and keeps his commandments. A biblical man walks in the ways of the Lord and keeps his commandments. Here's the problem with far too many men. We try to find our strength in other places. We try to find our drive in other places to succeed or to gain popularity or wealth or whatever the case may be. Scripture teaches us, listen, if we're really going to be a man of God, we need to do it with this idea of strength from within, found only in Christ. Like I would say if you want to grow in your strength as a man, then you need to grow in your walk with Christ, devoting yourselves to the things of Jesus Treating people with kindness, treating people with respect, following the Lord and all things. So like one of the questions me and you ought to ask yourself in your growth as a man and as a leader is what are you doing to grow internally in the things of Christ? Kind of that quiet strength found only in the Lord. Now we've been following this, this hurricane issue with Hurricane Michael and it's been just very devastating. And we've seen the pictures, they're, they're unbelievable, the destruction, unbelievable. 
right, people uh, all across the, the panhandle, it seems like, and even up into Georgia, and even, even all the way into Virginia with the flooding. We've just seen how terrible that destruction is. But it was interesting to me to kind of follow this, and many of you did the same thing. The, uh, probably a week or so before it hit, you kind of saw it in the southern part of the, I guess, down in the Caribbean, and even in the Gulf of Mexico, and it was just a tropical storm. But you're watching it, and then the, the experts are saying, you know, it may, may become something else. It may strengthen it may eventually hit the coast but the thing that was interesting to me is as they're talking about it, i watched this guy explain it one afternoon he said the thing we really look for is the, is the eye of the hurricane like that's what we're watching he says until that eye is formed it's not really dangerous it's just kind of a tropical storm we're going to keep our eye on it but when that when that wall kind of closes up and you can see it's a completely formed circle on the center in the middle of that hurricane that's when it becomes very dangerous now, the interesting thing to me is that, that eye, that hurricane eye, is only about 20 miles across. It's not very big, 20, 30 miles across. And I talked to somebody at the end of the 830 service, and they said, we've been in the eye of a hurricane before. You stand there, and the wind blows 120 miles an hour, and then it's clear for about 30 minutes. Crystal clear, blue skies, everything looks beautiful, no problems. And then all of a sudden, the wind blows from the other direction at 120 miles an hour, and here it comes again. But the interesting thing about that hurricane is until that center is formed, it's not really that strong. It's nothing to worry about. And I thought, isn't it interesting that that small little 20-mile radius or 20-mile diameter, sorry, a small little area of, of, of power that seems kind of quiet and peaceful in the middle generates such incredible power and will influence people hundreds of miles away. Like we, we were hundreds of miles away from that thing when we first started getting rain on the coast because of the power. I thought that's an interesting analogy with, with the idea of the strength that comes from within a man. There ought to be within us this place of kind of quiet resolve, peaceful resolve, strength, courage found only in the Lord. And when we can kind of shore that up and we're trusting in the Lord and allowing him to work through us, our influence extends miles in every direction, men, Right? I mean, when you're a man of God that has a quiet, still resolve, a desire to serve him regardless of the cost, you are going to influence people far, far away. That's the man we ought to be. We, we ought to understand this idea of spiritual strength. We ought to understand this idea of trusting the Lord. We ought to understand this idea of, of quiet resolve from within. Here's the problem. Far, far too many men miss this calling of spiritual leadership. We, we get the strength idea and we get the influence idea and we get the power idea and that's who we want to be, but we don't use it for the right purposes. I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 3. After God created Adam and Eve and, and uh, they'd gone through the process of, of, of kind of giving the instructions and how they're going to live, I want you to listen to what happens in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good, right, she'd been tempted by the serpent. She saw that the tree was good for food that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate it. Now, this is, here's an interesting little point here. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. He's standing right there, man. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the, from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9 of Genesis 3, you ought to look it up. But God called to the, you want to guess, man, and said to him, where are you? God, from the very beginning, held Adam responsible. Listen, he's the man. He's responsible. It's his fault that this happened. Well, she took the fruit. Yeah, he was standing right there, man. 
Like when we get to heaven, guys, you just need to understand this is truth. You may not like it. You may be mad at me at this moment. You may not really fully understand it. But when you get to heaven, God's going to hold you accountable for your family. Did you know that? For your wife and for your kids and how you lead. And you've got a choice, real, real clear choice. You can lead well and wisely and reap the benefits, or you can lead poorly. Now, how many families are still living out the destruction because a man chose to live and lead poorly? How many families? Like, it's real clear here in Scripture. It's real clear, man. We need to stand up and be strong and be leaders and find that quiet resolve in the place of Christ in the center of our lives. Lead from that quiet, still place. Influence other in a godly way for his kingdom. Now, I'm going to give you, I think, this is a very simplistic view, but I I teach young couples this when they come through and they're doing premarital counsel. I'm going to give you three types of leadership from the husband in the home. Two wrong, one right. The first leadership style that we see from far too many husbands in the home is an idea of passive leadership. He's just passive about the things of the Lord. He just doesn't care. Like, it's just whatever. Honey, if you want to get up and take the kids to church, that's fine with me. I don't really care. I'm not going to go this morning. If you want to take them, no big deal. Or maybe I'm going to go, but I'm not really going to be into it. I'm going to kind of make fun of it a little bit. I'm going to laugh. And there are going to be some mornings I'm not going to come at all because there are better things to do. I'd rather go do this and do that. And I'm not, again, I'm not preaching about going and doing fun stuff or even going on vacation. But nine out of ten times mean you ought to be here. Maybe 25 out of 26. I don't know the numbers. But you, you need to lead your family, right? But there's this passivity oftentimes with men. He never leads. He's never the one at dinner that says, let's pray for our food. He's never one at night that says, hey, guys, let's get together and have a moment of prayer or maybe a little Bible study. He's never the one that starts the spiritual conversations in the home. He's very passive in what he does. He just kind of lets things flow. He doesn't want to step up and lead. That's not who we're called to be, man. Then there's an aggressive man. He's the one that wants to make all the decisions. He's the one that's going to impose his will regardless of what it costs. doesn't matter if you like it or not. It's his way or the highway. That's how it is. If you don't do it, too bad. He runs roughshod over his wife and over his children. He's only interested in the things he wants. It's a very aggressive form of leadership. That's ungodly as well. The type of leadership we ought to exhibit in the home, men, the third one is godly leadership where the man is willing to give up himself for his wife. That Ephesians 5.25 passage, give of yourselves as Christ gave for the church. You know what Christ did for the church, men? He died. (laughs) He didn't complain because he didn't want to take the trash out. He died. I'm willing, he said, to do whatever it takes up through giving up my life for the church. That's what we ought to be, men. Willing, regardless of the cost, to lead well. This is who the Lord calls us to be. Leading in prayer, leading in church attendance, leading and talking about the things of the Lord with our children, acting like Christ even in difficult circumstances. Like our family ought to know that even when, when uh, bad things happen and difficulties arise, they're still going to see dad loving the Lord and leading the family in the things of Christ, period. They ought to know that there's this, this, this rock, this quiet resolve of, of incredible power but peace at the heart of this man because he loves the Lord. He's willing to serve the Lord, and the family can then rest in that. You understand that? They can find joy in that. The problem with far too many men is, is we let the things of the world take precedent over the things of Christ. We'd much rather be excited about the new car or the boat or the hunting trip or the fishing trip. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But sometimes we put those things over Christ. 
And we'd much rather lead in that way than lead in the things of the Lord. I need to finish up. I'm running low on time, but I want you to look now. Let's, let's see where this goes in verse three. Pull three up again, please. Actually, pull two up. Let's just start at two. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong, show yourself a man. man. Be leaders, guys. Let's lead here. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it's written in the law of Moses. In other words, have this quiet resolve, this idea that I'm going to follow the Lord no matter what. In the end of verse 3, that you may, what? Prosper in all that you do wherever you turn. Here's truth number three. A biblical man understands that real success comes only by trusting in the Lord. A biblical man understands that real success comes only by trusting in the Lord. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? How many men have found success in the world at the expense of their souls? Countless. It's like the little mouse on the wheel, right? We continue to run, continue to run, continue to run, and wonder why we never get there. Because <laughs> that's not what real success is. Real success is following the Lord, trusting the Lord, putting the Lord first, leading others in that direction, and then allowing the Lord to do great things through you. Guys, if, if we don't figure this out in a hurry, I'm afraid we're going to lose a generation underneath us because it's our responsibility to train and teach those younger than us. Did you know that? Like, it's my responsibility to teach my son. It's not yours. It's my responsibility to lead my family, not yours. It's your responsibility to teach your son and to teach your daughters and to lead your wife and to lead your family, to influence those around you. God's going to hold us accountable for that. And it's time that men stood up and made a difference. I promise you, if men lived the way God called us to live, the world would rejoice. Strong men that are leaders that are willing to serve and give of others and protect and provide and lead. That's exactly who the world needs. Here's what one writer said. The tragedy in many homes today is that children grow up to be successful, but not in the things that matter the most. With great investment from their parents, they learn to behave well, collect numerous trophies, land nice scholarships to great colleges, secure rewarding jobs, but they don't have a discernible heart for God. One overarching purpose should drive your leadership as a father. It's to mold your children's hearts for the gospel. That's our calling. Man, we need to live for Christ. We need to lead with strength. We need to influence those around us walking in the ways of the Lord. And when we do that, we need to watch the Lord do incredible things through our obedience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the clear calling that you give, that you place on our hearts, the hearts of men, to live and to lead and to give and to serve. Father, let this let this truth just resonate in our hearts. May we be the men you called us to be. May we do great things for the sake of your kingdom, Father. Help us to find strength, not in our own ability, but in your ability through us, Father, in your strength. That, that center of, of incredible power, yet peace, Lord, that resonates outward and affects people all around us for the sake of the kingdom. Let us lead well. Let us be men of integrity. Let us be men of God, Father. Use us for the sake of your kingdom, and we'll praise your name for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. You can pray. You can respond however the Lord leads you. But this is your time. You come as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. 
Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.